Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. I'm going to read for us um, in a moment from 1 Corinthians 11, a well-known passage on, on communion, on the Lord's Supper. Uh, but first, I just want to explain what's going on here. <laughs> we, uh, end of last year, I can't actually re- remember the exact date. I think it was somewhere in December. Uh, Trevor, it was November. The, there was a fire, as you can see, in the foyer of, of the hall. And uh, we were planning to do some renovations on the hall in any case. But then, we, uh, you know, God led us to, to buy a, a house, a, a new church office, close to the close to the Checker Centrum there in, in Bromfish's uh, uh, Street. And uh, we thought, okay, well, you know, that's a bit of extra expenditure. Finance are going to be a bit tight. Let's maybe uh, delay the renovations and stuff um, until, you know, sort of middle of this year or maybe, you know, later or, or whatever. Uh, but God clearly had other plans. <laughs> so we'd already, we, we'd sort of started making the plans for the renovations. Um, but then um, we said, okay, now we're going to delay it until maybe middle of this year or something like that. And uh, God clearly had different plans. So then uh, the, they started a fire in the, in the foyer. And um, there's the culprit. It's that stove. <laughs> That's where the fire started in the kitchen. Someone, I don't know, left the stove on or something, but there was an uh, electrical spark or something, and the kitchen caught fire. And it, it was, I think, 8 o'clock in the evening, and the, and the teacher was closing up, sort of started smelling smoke and fire and so on, and started looking around and, and saw the flames in the kitchen. And immediately called the, the um, vice principal, uh, so they could call the, the, the fire brigade and so on. And uh, then he ran in the back st- uh, of the stage and ran in here and um, came and closed those back doors, those fire doors. And if he hadn't done that, the whole hall would have burned down. I think you can imagine if this wooden floor had caught, and caught fire, uh, it would have been over. Um, and they started spraying with water and, you know, uh, you know the, f- the fire extinguisher and all that kind of stuff until the fire brigade came uh, and, and, and they started spraying as well and trying to get the fire under control, which they eventually did. And only the, 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 the foyer uh, burned down. But, but we realized that we're going to have to sort of... Um, we, we took it as, as evidence or, or a word from the Lord, leading from the Lord, that we, we should actually do the renovations now. So Trevor and his team jumped in over December and uh, took out all the windows and, and uh, built up and put in new windows and stuff. And... Uh, you know, so our, our building is under construction, and uh, you can see a few photos of when they just started, when they just taken out the, the windows and, and just started with the construction, and um, how it progressed and, and where we are now, and I think we've made some good progress. Uh, the hall's going to look very nice when it's finished, and the sound... Uh, uh, you know, the soundproofing is also a lot better, so we won't, we won't bother the neighbors, so we can really go for it when we worship <laughs> and crank up the volume. <laughs> so the worship team and the sound team are very excited about that. <laughs> there we go. And, um, you know, I thought it's, um, it's such a, a powerful picture and metaphor of, of what's going in our, on in our lives individually what's going on in our lives corporately, what's going on in our city and in our nation. You know, just like this building is under construction, uh, we as individuals, we as a community, we as a city, we as a nation are under construction. So uh, we decided we're going we're gonna to do a bit of a, um, of a series named Under Construction. Uh, so beware buildings, communities, and individuals under construction, okay? <laughs> because all of us are like this. All of us have certain things in our lives that have been established. We've come some way. You know, God has done certain things. God has uh, renovated, started renovating us. But he hasn't finished yet. Anyone finished with their renovations yet? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> No, none of us are. Uh, we're all still, still under construction. And we will still all be under construction until Jesus comes back. So turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm, I'm under construction. I'm under construction. 
Tell your, tell your neighbor, you better wear your hard hat around me. <laughs> I'm a construction site. <laughs> and that's why I think it's quite fitting as we talk about communion that we do so from 1 Corinthians because the church in Corinth was very much still a community under construction. I mean, um, Paul... Paul's letter to, the, to 1 Corinthians, you can almost call it a letter of correction. A letter of construction. A letter of renovation. A letter of fixing things. Because all that he does in the letter is address problems and start fixing them. And it's interesting, if you go to the beginning of the book, um, let me just see. It says in verse 2, well, let me read verse 1 and 2. It's not up on the screen. It just says, Paul called to be an apostle of, Je- of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brothers and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those who have been called, uh, sorry, who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, it translates the one word there, hagioi, um, as God's holy people. You could also translate it saints. And often in, in many of the translations, it's translated as saints. So it refers to these guys in Corinth as saints, God's holy ones. Okay? And if you read the rest of the letter, you think to yourself, I mean, Paul, what are you talking about? These guys don't look very holy. They don't sound very holy. I mean, there are factions among them. There are fights among them. They have all kinds of groups and factions. There's pride. They're abusing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the gifts are there, but they're being abused. You know, they, they have all kinds of false teachings. They have all kinds of misconceptions. There's sexual immorality. There's, oh, I mean, how, Paul, can you look at this community and call them saints? <laughs> God's holy ones. <laughs> And the, the reason why is because they, like us, are under construction or were under construction. And so we too are under construction. So let's, let's read this portion in 1 Corinthians 11 from verse 20 to 26. It says, so then, and this first part especially shows you how under construction they are. Uh, Paul says, so then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead uh, with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to, uh, to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And you can see here that they were far from a perfect community. They were a community under construction. They were individuals under construction in many different ways. And I'm going to highlight a few ways um, in a moment. But before I do, um, I just want to explain something. If you just look there on the screen, you'll notice just that, that very last phrase, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay? You proclaim, that's something that, uh, that you do in the present and that we do in the present. Right? The Lord's death, that's something that happened in the past. Until he comes, that's something that will happen in the future. Okay? So I just want to <clears throat> show you something. You'll notice that I, I called uh, my sermon, the heading of my sermon, um, Already but not yet. Already but not yet. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, just like them, they were proclaiming something in the present. And the thing that they were proclaiming in the present was, 
on the one hand, the Lord's death, which happened in the past, and until he comes. Ooh, I'm running very ugly. And that's in the future. And in other words, we are sitting here in the middle and we're proclaiming, and that's what we do. Notice that, that when we have communion, it just doesn't give us the power to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The act of taking communion together as a community is an act of proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, So we're sitting here in the present, and we're proclaiming something that is already that has already happened in the past, the Lord's death. And we're proclaiming it until he comes. In other words, something that's not, until something that's not yet happens. Ish. Let me try that again. So, we're in the present, just like the Corinthians. We're doing something in the present. And it's something that celebrates and remembers the already and that hopes for the not yet. So we're an already but not yet community. We're a community that's sort of caught between the times. One way in which, which guys describe it is that they'll say you've got the, the, the old age um, of this world and then Jesus comes and establishes the new age. The age to come. But the problem is, he starts that age to come with, with his cross, with his death and his resurrection. And he ends that, uh, and he, he, there's a time when he's going to come again on the clouds. Okay, this is a cloud. You're just going to have to take my, my word for it. <laughs> my Picasso <laughs> impersonation. And the problem is, we don't live here yet. If we live there, then everything would be already. But we don't live here either. Because if we live there, then nothing would be already. But we live here in this place where it's already, but not yet. We live between the times. We live in the overlap of the times. We live in the time when the old age still continues, but when it's already being superseded by the new age. When death still continues, but resurrection has already started. You see, and that's what, what, um, what's so powerful about this verse. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But if he's dead, how can he come? Someone who's dead cannot come back. You know, all those movies where Arnold Schwarzenegger always used to say, I will be back. <laughs> okay. Well, if you're dead, then you won't be back. <laughs> so something happened. We proclaim the Lord's death, but it's until he comes. But he can only come if he's not dead. So between his death and his coming, something happens, and that's his resurrection. So we don't only proclaim his death, we also proclaim his resurrection. So we're sitting here in the middle, in the already but not yet, where if we are in Christ, if we partake of, of that which the communion symbolizes, eating his flesh, drinking his blood, partaking of him, receiving him, receiving him into us as part of a covenant meal and covenant relationship with him through his spirit who lives inside of us. If that is true of us, then even though we are not yet dead, there is a sense in which as we proclaim his death and as we are in him, we have died with him. And death has already happened to us. Okay? And, and, and I want you to really get this because this is important. We sometimes miss this about Christianity. We, we, we sometimes 
We sometimes think that Jesus only took our sins to the cross. If you're in Christ, then he hasn't just taken your sins to the cross. He's taken you to the cross. He doesn't just died for your sins. He has died for you, and you have died in him. <clears throat> and there's a sense in which you are already dead. But there's also a sense in which, <clears throat> just like he was raised from the dead, if you are in him, then you are also already raised from the dead. And even though there's a physical death and a physical resurrection that still awaits us, that's not yet, there's a spiritual reality of both death and resurrection that is already true about us. So we, we're sort of caught between the already and the not yet. And while we between the already and the not yet, we are under construction. We are under construction. So I just want you to, to see um, this community here. So just a, f- a few things about being living in the already but not yet. The first thing is that if we live in the already but not yet, we should expect failure. We should expect setbacks. You see, sometimes we live as though we're already here. As though we're already um, at the not yet. As though there's nothing that's not yet. As though death is an intruder. Disease is an intruder. Failure is an intruder. Sin is an intruder. Like it shouldn't be there. We live as though setbacks shouldn't happen as Christians. Oh, but if I'm a child of God, why does this happen to me? If I'm a child of God, why do things go wrong in my life? If I'm a child of God, why are people nasty to me? If I'm a child of God, why do I still sin? If I'm a child of God, you can fill in the blanks. We live as though nothing is not yet, as though everything is already, as though we're already completely in the new age and the old age has completely passed away. But it hasn't. It hasn't. You see, if we're in between the already and the not yet, if we're living an already but not yet life, we should not be surprised at setbacks. And the problem, if we have this wrong expectation, and many of us as Christians, in our heart of hearts, we do. And we get so angry with God when things go wrong. And we get so disappointed in ourselves when, when, when things go wrong. As though we're perfect and we can avoid um, you know, all mistakes. And all setbacks. But if we understand that we live between, in the overlap of the ages, between the times, between Jesus' death and his second coming, in the already but not yet, then we'll understand that even though God's kingdom has been inaugurated and started, it has not yet been consummated and fulfilled. And even though we already share some of the benefits of the kingdom, we do not yet share all of the benefits of the kingdom. We're not immortal yet. We're not sinless yet. That's still part of the not yet. But there's a lot of stuff that is already. We already have resurrection life. We already have the forgiveness of sins. And we already have God's precious Holy Spirit living inside of us, taking up residence inside of us. But the problem is when we, when we have the wrong expectation and we, we don't understand that we, we already but not yet, we, we, we don't expect setbacks. We don't expect failure. And when you don't expect that which inevitably happens, it's a double blow to you when it does happen. When someone close to you does die, or when someone does fail you, or even a Christian fails you, like we, we, we read there. I mean, you have a bunch of Christians in the Corinthian church failing one another and living lives that are not always very Christian. Just like us. <laughs> right? When that happens, when, when say, a, a Christian friend is nasty to you and sins against you, if you don't expect that, if you don't understand that they live in the already, but not yet. Then not only does their sin against you hurt you, but the fact that it's such a big surprise knocks you. So it's a double blow. Whereas if you expect it, if you say, well, I'm already, but not yet, and he's already, but not yet, and I should expect myself to fail, and I should expect him to fail, 
then yes, this, his sin against me still hurts me, but at least I expect it. At least I'm not so overwhelmed and surprised when it happens because I realize, just like me, he's already, but not yet. So turn to your neighbor and tell them, you're under construction. <laughs> And because you're under construction, I forgive you. <laughs> I forgive you for dumping your building rubble on my, on my site. I forgive you for, for dropping, you know, your, you know your, 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 all kinds of building rubble on my head. You know? At least I'm wearing my hard hat because I understand that you're under construction. I understand that you're construction site. So now I'm going to be wearing my hard hat and my, and my, my hard up shoes, you know, my safety boots when I'm around you, because I understand just like me, you're a construction site. You're still under construction. Okay? Some, some wives need to say that to their husbands, and some husbands need to say that to their wives. <laughs> I'm going to have grace with you, because I understand you're under construction. You know, so, if we understand that we live between the already and the not yet, in the already but not yet, we understand, we'll, we'll expect setbacks. We'll expect failure. Any of you experienced failure or setbacks last year? Which failures and setbacks were the most difficult ones? The ones that you didn't expect, right? So if you expect them, it's not like the you know, experience is going to become any, more, uh, any less unpleasant. But at least you'll be ready for it. At least you won't be completely knocked by it. You'll sort of be stronger. You'll be able to be more resilient within the setback. But also, here's, here's the good news. This is my second point. If we understand that we live between the already and the not yet, proclaiming the Lord's death already until he comes, not yet. Then we also not only expect setbacks and failures, but we understand that our failures are not final. The setbacks that happen in our lives are not final. And that's good news. And we see that in the text here in the sense that, I mean, the, if you think about it, in a, in a very real sense, the greatest setback and seemingly the greatest failure of all times was the, was the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to earth, God himself became a little baby, grew up as a, as, a, as, a, as a human being, and became a man. At age 30-odd, started with his public ministry, and three and a half years, odd years later, died on a cross. Proclaiming, proclaimed himself the Messiah, and the word Messiah means king, anointed king. The anointed king of the Jews was the Messiah. The savior of the world. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the very last thing, I mean, looking back, we are so used to the crucifixion that we don't see it as a, as a failure. But, but for us, it's hindsight. For us, it's looking back and understanding how to interpret it. It's been interpreted for us by the apostles. But imagine, imagine if you were a Jew living in the time of Jesus. And he comes along and he does all these miracles. I mean, he silences the storm. He says, peace be still, and all of a sudden the storm is still. He walks on the water. He feeds the 5,000 with, you know, five loaves and two fish. I mean, that's Moses on steroids, people. <laughs> that's not just manna raining down from heaven. That's, that's, that's taking what Moses did to a, to a whole new level. And then there's 12 baskets left over, you know, symbolic, you know, 12 baskets, 12 tribes, symbolic more than enough for all the people of God. And then... So, so, I mean, he, he seems powerful, so powerful. He seems so wise. He seems so right. He's doing all the right things. He's saying all the right things. People are like, whoa, you know, amazing. And then he goes and dies on a cross, hanging there naked, tortured to death. The most, not only the most painful death, but the most shameful death known to man. 
hanging him there on the cross and he dies. And, and, it, and, it, and, and you can understand why the two guys that, that met him on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples said, why they were so down and why they, you know, they said, we, we, we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the one. And now it seems like all our hopes and dreams have come to nothing. And I tell you what, I'm sure there were people sort of in the crowd following Jesus thinking maybe he's the one maybe because they expected you know he's going to come with his military might you know he's the son of david after all david was this mighty man this warrior poet he's going to come and he's going to wipe you know all the the roman oppressors out of the promised land and and he's going to rule the kingdom of israel and we're going to be the top dogs again like we were in the time of david because he's the son of david he's going to sit on the throne of david after all that's what the messiah was and I'm sure there were a lot of guys thinking that. And then they saw Jesus dying on the cross. Not sitting on the throne, but dying on a cross. Not with a crown of gold on his head, but with a crown of thorns on his head. And thinking, what on earth is going on? And I'm sure there were guys in that group just sort of following Jesus and thinking, you know, he's going to lead a new revolution. He's going to lead a revolt against the Romans who were so disillusioned so disillusioned that they said, I cannot see that God can bring anything good out of this. This is total failure. This is the ultimate setback. I don't, I don't even believe anymore. And isn't, and, and, and isn't it ironic that out of that greatest setback, that greatest seeming failure of all, God did the greatest good? God did more than deliver them from physical oppression, political oppression by the Romans. He delivered the whole world from spiritual oppression and captivity to sin. And so often we look at our setbacks and our failures like some of people looked at the cross and say, I cannot, I cannot imagine that God can bring anything good out of that. And we say, I cannot imagine that God can bring anything good out of this. This is a setback. This is a failure. This is a catastrophe. And the good news is that the cross proves to us once and for all the already of the cross and the already of the resurrection proves to us once and for all that our failures are not final and that God can bring good out of our setbacks. If He can do it with a cross, He can certainly do it with your and my setbacks. So whether you, you know, got dumped last year, you know, or you didn't get that job that you were hoping for or that promotion you were hoping for, or you did get the job and it didn't turn out to be so great as you thought, you know. In fact, your boss turned out to be a bit of a Roman oppressor. <laughs> you know, he exploits you and expects you to work long hours without any overtime. Yes, it's a setback. Yes, it's a setback. But if God can bring good out of the cross... He can bring good out of every setback that you experienced. So don't think that your failure is final. Don't think that your setbacks are final. God, Romans 8 verse 28 says, For God makes all things. Not God can make all things. He says, We know, for we know that God makes all things work together for the good of those who love Him, those who are the called according to His purpose. We know. So that great setback that you experienced last year, or those setbacks, look at them and see them for what they are, part of your construction site. Say to them, this is evidence that I'm under construction, that I'm all ready but not yet. But it's okay. Because if God can bring good out of the cross, He can bring good out of all my failures. He can bring good out of all my setbacks. Amen. So, as long as, as long as we um, live in the already but not yet, we will be under construction. And, and it's, in, it's interesting, this, this, this passage here shows us a community that's very much under construction. Paul says to them, um, so then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So they're coming together for the Lord's Supper as, the, as a church. It says, uh, for when you are eating, some go ahead and eat their own private supper. In other words, 
If we don't eat the Lord's Supper in the right way, it just becomes our own private supper. And what was the wrong thing that they were doing? What, was, what were they doing wrong that, that turned what should have been a, this sacred, you know, the Lord's Supper, into just their private supper? It says, so some go ahead and eat their own private supper. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. And he, he mentions two aspects that sort of highlight the not yet. The not yet. So he says, some go hungry. And then he says, um, those, about those who go hungry, he says, um, don't you have homes to eat and drinking? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Those having nothing. So he's referring to those in the church, the saints, the holy ones, part of the church of God, part of the body of Christ, who have nothing. And, and, and yet I want you to see the already and not yet. They are part of the church. In other words, they belong to Christ, and yet it is Christ belongs to them. And through communion, communion symbolizes the reality that as you eat the bread and drink the, 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 the cup, Christ is in them. And if you have Christ, you have everything. Because Christ has everything. So here you have people who already have everything because they already have Christ, but they do not yet have everything because in a physical sense they still have nothing. <laughs> They're poor. They're in poverty. Can you see the already but not yet? They already have everything, but they do not yet have everything physically. Okay? And then it says, you know, um, some go hungry and some... Some, uh, and another, one goes hungry and another gets drunk. And, and here you have a different group, uh, already and not yet, or, or show the already and not, but not yet in a different way. So here you have a group of probably rich Christians. And they come to the communion. And what does the communion rest on? The communion, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, symbolizes and rests on Jesus' loving self-sacrifice. They are the symbols of how Jesus, at great cost to himself, at the cost of his life, gave himself to us. So they epitomize loving self-sacrifice. And here you have guys, Christians, part of the church in Corinth, who come... And not only do they come and take the communion, which epitomizes loving self-sacrifice. They do that, but then they do it in a way that is not epitomized by loving self-sacrifice. But that is full of, what shall we call it, selfish self-interest. Selfish self-interest. In other words, here you have people who are already in Christ, Christians, but they are not really like Christ. Definitely not fully. Can you relate to that? I can relate to that. There are many times that I don't live out the loving self-sacrifice of the cross. Even though I say I follow Jesus, I don't always follow him accurately and I don't always follow him fully in that. Sometimes when I, when I talk to my children, I get impatient and I shout at them because they're making my life uncomfortable and I, and I, and I don't have patience with the fact that they're children and they're learning and I should just disciple them and lovingly discipline them but have patience with them. And I don't always have patience with them. And when I don't, it's usually because of self-interest. It's usually because of selfishness. It's usually because I'm doing exactly the opposite of the cross. I'm doing the opposite of what Jesus did for me. It was, Jesus made such a great sacrifice for me at such great cost to himself. He saved me and he blessed me and yet I'm not willing to make a little sacrifice <laughs> to be patient with my children sometimes. And the reality is we're all like that. In other words, we're all ready in Christ and becoming like Christ. I mean, we're not where we were, but we're also not where we should be and we're also not where we could be. We're all ready, but we're not yet. We are under construction. And not only are we um, 
as individuals under construction. But just before this, Paul says, you know, I hear that there are factions among you. You know, as a community, there are also divisions, you know. And part of the division was probably the the rich and the poor. And I mean, if if you look in, in South Africa, I mean, we're probably not a typical church. In the sense that if you look at South Africa, you're going to see most churches mostly rich, upper class people, and some other churches mostly poor, lower class people. You're going to see lots of churches that are mostly or even exclusively white, and other churches that are mostly or even exclusively black. In other words, as the church, often we don't get it. But if all of us, slave or free, that means rich or poor, Jew or Greek, black or white, or any shade of brown in between, male or female, whatever, all the social divisions are one in Christ. We are all baptized in one spirit into one body whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, etc., and have all been made to drink of the one spirit. We all use the same communion. We all eat the same bread. We all drink the same cup that represents the same Jesus and his same death. And that makes us one. Then even though we are not yet fully one socially, and I mean South Africa shows that, shows up our, our divisions, Yet in the church, we should already be one spiritually and one as a community. And we should be a community that, by having communion together, proclaims the oneness. And praise God, to some extent we we, we do. And we should do that more and more. So not only can you say to your neighbor, I'm under construction and you're under construction, but you can also say to your neighbor, we're under construction. So tell your neighbor, we're under construction. (laughs) And it's not just the construction of this building. This building isn't the church. This building is just the church, uh, is just the building in which we as God's church meet on a regular basis. We are the church. We are God's building. We are living stones built together as a temple for Jesus Christ, for God in the Spirit. So, um, I just want to encourage you, and I think I'm going to I'm going to close with this. If we're already, if we're living in the already but not yet, we should expect failure. And if we're living in the already but not yet, remember, not everyone is already but not yet. Here's the catch: not everyone is already but not yet. Only if you participate in Christ. Only if you actually eat the bread and drink the cup. Only if you actually receive Christ and his covenant death, his sacrificial death for you. Only if you understand that because I have sinned, that is the death I deserve, but he died it in my place. And that's what it says. It says, um, let me just read that, that, uh, that portion. Uh, on the night, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, as he was about to be broken himself on the cross, and said, "This is my body, which is for you, which is for you." And when it says there, "which is for you," it literally says, "which is in your place, which is on behalf of you, my body, which is broken and given as a sacrifice on behalf of you." And only those who receive that broken body and say, firstly, I'm more sinful than I ever dared imagine. I'm more sinful and evil than I ever dared imagine. And then said, and yet, because Christ loved me so much that he was willing to die for me, I'm more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. That's the gospel. I receive Christ. And in receiving Christ, the already of Christ his death and resurrection, becomes already true of me spiritually. And I just want you to think about this. Just think about this, because all of us have made mistakes. All of us have had disappointments in our lives. All of us have had serious setbacks. All of us have had serious failures where we've let ourselves and other people and God down. But you've got to realize, 
if you are in Christ, if you receive the bread and the, and, and the cup, if you receive Christ, your past no longer determines your future. Jesus' past determines your future. Jesus' past determines your future. The already, let me put it this way, the not yet, the perfecting of us, the resurrection of our bodies, us mortal people putting on immortality, that's part of the not yet. That's what we hope for. And that hope drives us growing in the already. It, you know, we're all hope-driven people, right? You know that. Now, if you tell someone to do a, a, a really difficult job for a year, and you pay him a, you know, a, a, a very low salary, he's probably going to give up after a few, few weeks or months, you know, if, if it's like a really tough job with really hard work, really long hours, really unpleasant work. But if you tell him, at the end of that year, if you stay for the whole year, I'm going to give you 10 million rand. That hope <laughs> of the 10 million rand, despite the hard work, despite the long hours, despite the bad working condition, despite the bad boss, despite the low pay, now. That 10 million rand at the end of the year will motivate him to stick it out for the year. Hope keeps you going. Now here's the thing. The retirement benefits for us as Christians are out of this world. Literally. <laughs> okay? <laughs> it's more than just 10 million rand. Okay? That's the not yet. The, the retirement benefits, if I can call it that. That should, that hope for that, which is so great, which is so perfect, should inspire us to grow in the already. But more than that, the already of Jesus guarantees the not yet that is to come. The fact that he died and was resurrected guarantees the fact that when we die, we will be resurrected. The already guarantees the not yet. And therefore, we can have hope. Therefore, as individuals, even though we are under construction, we can have hope. Therefore, as families, even though we're under construction, we can have hope. Therefore, as a church, even though we're under construction, we can have hope. Therefore, as a nation, even though we're very much under construction, we can have hope. And let us allow not only the not yet of Jesus' coming back to perfect us, to inspire us and give us hope, but let us allow His already to inspire us and, 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 and give us hope. If, if Jesus was willing to sacrifice that much to save me, but not only to save me, to save all of my family in the church, you, should I not also be willing, even though I'm not called to make such a big sacrifice as Jesus and give my life, I am called to sacrifice. And should not, I not try and find little ways of making sacrifices so that if I am that rich Christian, that I don't sort of flaunt my riches and keep it just to myself, but I share it with my brother or sister who are poor, who have nothing, and who are struggling. That if I'm a Christian, you know, who has wisdom, who God has blessed with wisdom, that I make that sacrifice to go to small group. Even though I may be a bit more mature than a lot of the other people in the small group, but to share that wisdom with them. And humble myself and realize that even though God has blessed me with wisdom, there's a lot of wisdom that I don't have. And, and there's, there's a wisdom that comes from babies, and therefore babies in the faith that I can always learn from. If I'm very disciplined, that I'll use that and, and even make sacrifices of my time and energy to help other Christians who are not as disciplined to grow in that and to receive the blessing of God. If I have certain gifts, like musical gifts, like we saw the band using on uh, this morning to lead us in worship, that I'll make that sacrifice to be here at 6 o'clock when everyone else is only coming at half past 9. Make that sacrifice. And compared to the big sacrifice that Jesus made, all of our little sacrifices are minute. They're small. Should we not be willing to make them? In other words, Jesus did not sacrifice so that we wouldn't have to sacrifice. 
Jesus sacrificed so that every time we sacrifice, we become more like him. Because we imitate him. And that is the hope that we have. Let us allow the already of what Jesus did to us, did for us, to inspire us. Okay. Uh, can the, the ashes quickly hand out the, the communion? We're going to have communion together. Um, I, I hope you're, you sort of, um, this sort of helps you to locate yourself and locate us as a community within God's plans. We're all ready, but we're not yet. We're all ready saved, but we're still being saved and we're not yet fully saved. And that's what we celebrate when we have communion. So just take the elements of the communion and just keep them. We're going we're to share them together in a moment. And as, as this building is under construction, hopefully by next week, uh, you know, weather permitting and uh, God willing, you know, the, the plastering on the outside on both sides will be finished. Uh, and then the week after that, maybe, you know, God willing, uh, Trevor and them can start painting and so on. And, you, and you're going to see this building actually being transformed as it is under construction and, and actually becoming nicer, becoming more beautiful. And let us use that as a metaphor for our lives individually and for our lives corporately as a community. And let's, as we see this building under construction, let's be reminded that we are under construction, that we're in process. And I also want to ask some of you, on behalf of God, to be more graceful with yourselves. Some of you are very hard on yourselves. You forget that because you're already but not yet, you're a construction site. And you look at the construction side of your life and you say, why is it such a mess? You know, and you sort of you know, wrap yourself on the knuckles and say, bad Christian, bad Christian, you should have sorted this out. There are always going to be things that are not sorted out. Be more gracious with yourself. If you're a construction site, if you're under construction, you need to be more gracious with yourself. And the construction happens not by you trying harder, but by you trusting more. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me because as often as, as you eat this, uh, this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. I just want to show you uh, just this, this, this one last thing. Paul says do this. Communion is something that you do. And on the one hand, when you do, by doing, you remember. And on the other hand, by doing, you proclaim. So by doing this, by living out the gospel, which is what we should do, be doing in every area of our lives, okay? even marriage is just gospel reenactment of the relationship between Christ and his bride. All of life should be gospel reenactment. By doing life like that as gospel reenactment, on the one hand, we remember, in other words, we minister to ourselves that which is already true and which guarantees the not yet. But we also minister outwards to the community. We proclaim to other people what is already true and how it guarantees what is not yet. And let's, let's do that. And that's how you grow. It's by receiving what we're going to do now. It's, by, it's not by trying harder, but it's by trusting more. It's by receiving more of Jesus. And as I receive Jesus into me, and Jesus permeates my life, I become more like Jesus. More of what is not yet becomes already. Amen? So Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this bread, which represents your body, which was broken for us, which represents your sacrifice that you made for us. Thank you that you loved us this much. And we receive you, and by receiving this bread, we receive your love, which this represents. And I, I just want to ask, as your eyes are remain closed, I presume that some of us are already Christians, and we're celebrating already that the fact that we're already taking part, partaking in Christ. But I also have to assume that some of us are not yet Christians. Maybe, maybe we've been going to church all our lives, but we, we, we're maybe not yet Christians. We have, we have maybe not yet actually died with Christ. We have maybe not yet 
actually admitted that we need Christ to die for us. And we've maybe not yet received that. And we're still trying to be good enough in our own strength. And if, if that is you, I want to ask you to use this bread and this cup, these symbols of communion, as an opportunity to say, Lord Jesus, I make a covenant with you. I, I take this communion as a covenant meal, the Lord's Supper. where I make a covenant with you and I receive the fact that you had to die for me because I'm that sinful and yet you were glad to die for me because you are that loving. I receive that and I, and I step into covenant with you. Or if, if you're already a Christian, let's do covenant renewal and, and remind ourselves that that is true of us. Let's eat together. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for this cup which represents the new covenant in your blood. Thank you that, Lord, you made provision even for our failure, even for our setbacks. Thank you, Lord, that we can receive the forgiveness of sins and total cleansing of all our sin, all our shame, because of what you did. We receive that forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that as we receive it now, each one of us will receive a clear conscience and set our hearts and minds to live with a clear conscience before you. In Jesus' name, let's drink together. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com